right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormon Sisters Edition with your hosts, Ariane Smith and Tiffany Hales. We are back for the month of August. Oh, we are back for the month of August. <laughs> and exciting things happening in your household this very week. Yes. In fact, we are right now, we are about T minus 38, 39 hours until my daughter comes home from her mission. So exciting. So exciting. I have to tell you, I'm so, so exhausted tonight. Just trying to get everything done and our house looking nice. Again, I know I talked about this before, not that she cares, but I care. Right. And um, and it's a really good way to pass the time. Um, but I, I want to say something, um, you know, since we have this little bit of a public forum here, uh -huh. she has been in the uh, Lubbock mission, which encompasses West Texas. And for any of you out there who live in West Texas and live in the Lubbock mission, I would just like to say as a mother, I want to thank you for how much you have loved my daughter. Aww. She, I, I know I'm getting teary. She has had the most incredible mission and the saints down there have opened their hearts and opened their doors and let her in to their houses. And, you know, as a parent, you want somebody to, you know, you hope that somebody loves your kid, maybe a fraction of what you love your kid. They have truly loved Shelby, and it has been a great example to me for the missionaries that are serving in our area mm -hmm. that I want to open my door and open my heart and be as loving to them and return the love that was shown to my daughter. But I just want to give a big shout out to the Lubbock, Texas mission and the saints that live down there because y'all are incredible people. Oh, that's so sweet. So anyway, so yes, next month I'll have a full report on how she has returned and reintegrated into our family. That is very exciting. So, well, we went back to church for the first time on Sunday. Uh -huh. This last Sunday, I was beginning to think this was never going to happen. <laughs> Uh, but we did. We've, you know, like many of the wards who are starting to go back, we've been given one Sunday a month, and they divided our congregation. How many? How many sections did they divide uh, they you? They divided in? us into three. Okay. And we went on Sunday, and there we were in the last session of the day, and there were not based on your last name. Did they do it by no, last names? No, they didn't do it by last oh, names. Okay. I think they did it by like number of deacons. Oh, and I know that they split they put, their priest up. Yeah, and I think they tried to put the older people in the ward in the first session oh, okay. so that, you know the cleaning is better it's it's, it's more sparkly then <laughs> yes so um it was really interesting there were only about nine families we were totally spread apart in the chapel everybody wore masks um there was you know kind of some muffled singing under the masks so so you sang they did let us they let you sing but Interesting. it was very muffled everybody sang yes. with their masks okay. it was more like you know some were singing i think some were humming it now, was more of an organ solo but was there an age cut off for masks like if you were under x age you didn't have to wear a mask no in fact masks weren't required they were just highly recommended really but everybody wore them except for my 2 year old he was the one in the bunch that didn't everybody else. I even saw a three-year-old wow kid. One of my friends has a three-year-old son. He kept his mask on. I okay, was that's impressive. Very impressed. That is way <laughs> so. impressive. Okay, I'm surprised they didn't make it mandatory because our our health district right. has that mandatory mask policy. I was, I was surprised about that too. Huh. So. Interesting. But it sounds like it didn't matter because everybody was wearing them. Everybody wore them. Everyone did. So it was it was good and. 
you know, I went into it just thinking, this is going to be so weird. This is going to be so weird. I don't know if I'm going to like it. It's going to be so uh-huh. weird. But I came out of it just feeling like it felt so good. Something normal. Yes. Kind I mean, of. It was different, but it just felt so good to be together, even yeah. if it was only nine families. Yeah. And even if we didn't really talk, I yeah. mean, it was really literally waves yeah. across the chapel because yeah. even when it was time to go at the end, the bishop said, okay, you know, we're going to start with the back row one at a time. Your row gets up and leaves. Oh, like, very organized. Yes. It was like a primary situation. Oh, like, gosh. We'll release you when it's your turn. <laughs> So, We're going to see how well y'all learned in primary. <laughs> so it's not like there was a lot of visiting happening, but just being together and taking yeah. the sacrament together and our bishop spoke and one of his counselors spoke and just seeing people and waving across the chapel. It just felt so good. Aww. So I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that I liked it. I, yeah. I was. This was kind of our test run. I thought, yeah. You know, we'll try it out, and we might just keep doing it from home. I mean, yeah. it's only going to be once a month. Yeah. If it doesn't get canceled next by, by the time next month rolls around, it might be canceled. But you, you never know. It was great. Except this Sunday, you're going to get the opportunity to rinse, lather, and repeat because you're coming to my ward. Because this Sunday is your ward's it's our ward's once a month. Once a, once a month, and my daughter Shelby will be reporting on her mission. So we are going to go two weeks of church in a row. What oh are my we going to do with ourselves? Your kids are not going to. Your kids are going to go. What's up with this? I know. <laughs> Speaking of which, church shoes on my two-year-old. He has grown out of church shoes in the past month. How many months? Six did you, months. Did you have any idea? <laughs> no, I went to put his church shoes on and I was like, oh, these are a little tight. I squeezed his fat little feet in them and by the end of church, they were off. So. All right. So you better get on that before Sunday. Get him some church shoes. <laughs> also, he was flipping out about putting church clothes on because we haven't been dressing up yeah. at, at my home okay. at all. He was not having it. <laughs> So we got to practice that a little, I guess. It's kind of funny, the habits that we get out of. Yes. (laughs) Even at two years old, that we're like, no, I'm not about that. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Should we we start in with some news? Yes. Let's move on to some news. You've got a bunch of temple news I do. Because it is a Monday when we are recording. And every Monday since May, the church has issued, every Monday morning, a list of temple reopenings. And as you know, they have different phases. They've got phase one, which is, I believe, ceilings only to living people who have already previously been endowed. And then phase two is you can do um, ceilings to uh, living people only, ceilings to parents, living parents and children, mm-hmm. and you can do endowments if you are going on a mission right. or, in fact, I think, or is, can you just get your endowment if you haven't done it yet? I don't, I, you know, that I'm not, only if you're going that on a mission. I'm not sure on. No, it says. I bet you can do it. No, it says that, let's see what it says. Well, here's what it says. So I, we have this article from the church news because the church news today uh, released 17 temples that are moving into phase two and 10 of those 17 temples are in Utah. Right. And it does say that they anticipate these Utah temples are going to be busy. Mm -hmm. And so this is their priority that they are allowing because you have to call and you have to schedule in advance because they're functioning with very limited staffing 
and so they have so many more people to move through exactly in Utah, people going on missions exactly people so getting married the first is to living persons who are to be sealed next is missionaries currently serving in the field and then missionaries who are preparing to depart based on their departure date mm-hmm. so i don't think you can get your endowment oh. like if you're wanting to get married I don't think you can still get your endowment. I think you're going to have to go do your civil thing. Interesting. If you're not previously which endowed. then holds up your ceiling. Which holds up your ceiling, which just means more civil marriages. And again, we discussed this last month. I'm a big fan of those civil marriages because I think it removes the stigma of, oh, you didn't get married in the temple. Right. Your marriage is subpar. And I think it's definitely, well, just COVID in general has yeah. scaled back the... The big wedding culture, exactly. Sure, but which, again, no need to say that because we've already we've already expressed mm-hmm. how we feel on that. So anyway, so yeah, look for more temples to be reopening here where we are. Um, Boise and Meridian are still in phase one, so mm-hmm. we have we have no phase two going on yet. Right. Okay. So also to do with temples, um, Jeff just posted on the Twim Facebook. Within the last day or so, the church made a new video explaining temples. Okay. Really well done. It was great. They had... Um, I, I've not seen the video, so why don't you tell me about oh, it? Was, it was just a really great video to kind of explain the purpose of temples oh. to probably those that don't know or those that are uh-huh. curious, want to know more. They kind of related it to the ancient temples, and they talked to some scholars, and um, they interviewed several members who've gone through and just shared their testimony of the temple and their piece that they feel in the temple. And it was like a really well done video. And oh. actually watching it made me think, oh gosh, it's been so long since I've been to the temple. It's going to be nice to go back someday, whenever that day is. It, You know, it, it mm-hmm. really is. You know, I've talked about this before, Darren, and I have a weekly temple assignment, which obviously we haven't been doing. And, um, you know, at first it was kind of nice to have to have a little bit of a break. But mm-hmm. I, I'm not kidding when I say every night we pray for the temple to reopen because we want to return to that temple assignment and mm-hmm. and the joy that we get from being in there. So, yeah. Anyway, so yes, this is a this is a test. This COVID in in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, also, speaking of temples, there was a really good article this week in the Church News about why do temples have the angel Moroni on top and a historic look at the iconic statue. Now, if you have followed the podcast, you know Jeff has talked about temples are his thing. He loves to yes. talk about the building, the construction, where they're going to be. We, 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 we let him stay in that lane. We, right. we don't cruise into his lane. But he has discussed that, you know, recently some of the architectural designs that come, have come out do not have the angel Moroni. And right. there's really no rhyme or reason that he can see as to why or why not the angel Moroni is on there. Mm-hmm. So someone did a, a, an, an article and the first temple that got an angel, albeit it was not an angel Moroni, uh, was actually, of course, the Nauvoo Temple. And the reason for that is it was a weather vane, and weather vane angels were extremely popular in the United States. So it had no religious significance whatsoever. It, it was just, just cool. <laughs> let's slap it up there. This is architecturally what we do. Um, and so um, when they began to work on the Salt Lake Temple, they were like, okay, we're going to put a weather vane mm-hmm. angel on that temple. Well, it took them so gosh darn long to build the Salt Lake Temple that by the time they got close to it being done, weather vane angels were no longer in vogue. And what was in vogue at that time was 
statues. Right. So what they did is they decided to switch from the weather vane angel and switched it to um, an angelic figure because that's what they were doing uh, at at that particular time. So they commissioned an artist to make it. He's well. He's working on it. He's like, oh, I'm going to call this guy Gabriel, and he mm-hmm. keeps calling him Gabriel. And it says that the church leaders went to view the studio, went to his studio to view the statue, and one of the apostles said, "We should call him Moroni." <laughs> and with within a week, Gabriel was like, "Passe, no more Gabriel." And that is how it became Moroni this on the top of the temple. Story was so fascinating to me. Oh, seriously! I just always assumed it was a big revelation. <laughs> like the temples will have the angel Moroni facing whatever way, and I know they don't always face that way. But to hear that it was just, and we don't even know which apostle. We don't even know which it was apostle. Just, just an one apostle. of the apostles said, "Hey, let's call him Moroni." This just makes me laugh so hard. It's I know. so funny and quirky. And I know. I kind I of know. love it. <laughs> and so, you know, the next temple that they put a Moroni on was L.A. When they built L.A. and dedicated that in 56. And uh, and then they went to Washington, D.C. Right. And because they'd had an angel in Salt Lake and they had an angel in L.A., they thought, well, we got to put an angel right. on on. DC. DC, and they talked about how LA and DC were such like iconic temples exactly. and big and just momentous big temples for the church. So they thought, well, we have to have them on those two. Exactly. So, so then they started building building a whole bunch of those smaller temples, mm-hmm. like what they did in the eighties, which that's how the Boise Temple came about. And they decided rather than do these big brass statutes because, you know, they're kind of heavy and cumbersome, they switched to a fiberglass Moroni because he's very easy to place on the top of the temple and cart around. Mm -hmm. So all the temples then started getting Moronis, even some temples that had never had a Moroni get a Moroni. Mm -hmm. So now we've all been conditioned to expect a temple has a Moroni. And when it doesn't have a Moroni, we're like, what is wrong? Why does this temple not have a Moroni? Is this temple inferior because it doesn't have a Moroni? Is it a lesser temple because there is no gold statue on the top? So yes, it was a very fascinating article. Really interesting. So go read that one if you want to learn some Moroni history. There you go. Uh, what's next? Oh, this was an interesting article. This was by Peggy Fletcher Stack um, with the Tribune. And this was an article that came out this week about how the LDS church is working to close the gender gap in telling its history. So this was super interesting. They interviewed um, this woman ma- named Melissa Inui, and she is a historian actually for the church history department and she spoke what recently. we have a chick history yes history historian we, we have a historian in <laughs> our history department of the church that's female and she I is, wasn't sure that was allowed i know and not only that she is doing the work oh dang well so, of course she is so she spoke recently at the 2020 fair mormon conference and her whole speech was on uh women in global church history oh And she talked about how, you know, women in history, and she talked about how this is not, you know, unique to the church. It's not even unique to religion. Just for years, women in history have not always been part of the story. And she's, you know, says there's reasons because in history, a lot of times we chronicle, you know, 
politicians, yeah. soldiers, things that were just typically men's jobs. And she just talks about how important it is if we're going to get the full look of humanity that we also chronicle what the women were doing at the time. Very true. Um, so as far as our church history goes, she talks about uh, how it's getting better, but slowly. Okay. She said in the 1970s uh, church book, Joseph Smith and the Restoration, the percentage of named women was 7%. Um, then in the story of the Latter-day Saints, it was 8.5%. By 2005, when Joseph Smith rough stone rolling came out, there were 15% named women. Okay. So it's like seven men to to each woman. Uh, but then she does talk about how saints, um, the official, you know, the new saints has 39% of named individuals are women. Now that's a big jump. So that's a big jump and they are getting there. But she does say based on the rate that it took from, you know, 1970 to 2005, she says it will be 2189 before we have histories that discuss women and men in normal 50-50 ratios. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So that's a little depressing to think about, but they are doing their best. (laughs) As long as we're incrementally moving forward, we are moving forward. We're going in the right direction. And you know, this has been, I mean, if you look at the Bible, you know, there's probably way less than 7% of Women Easily. named in the Bible. Easily. So this has been, you know, this is a long time coming. And the Book of Mormon as well. Yes. And this is not a unique problem to our church, but it is interesting based on this article yeah. to see that the church is really thinking about this. Well, and I really appreciate that because yeah. we as women offer a very different perspective on things than the men do. Not a better perspective, just a different perspective. Right. And if you want to fully understand something, you have to look at it from all angles. You have to look at it from everyone's perspective to be able to really engage and understand. And so to be able to have that resource there, to be able to see it from all perspectives is only going to aid us in understanding our own history. Yeah, for sure. And she said one of the projects she's working on right now is a global histories project. Um, where they're just telling the global history Uh of the church. And she says that in that project, to find the perspectives of women, they really have to dig deeper because she said a lot of the records that they have at church headquarters are based on correspondence between mission administrators and church leaders. Um, She said basically it's men talking to men about male activities. (laughs) So she said they've really had to dig to find some wow. of like official church things that yeah. have sisters in them. So she says they have found like minutes of uh-huh. a Relief Society meeting in Germany, like during the uh-huh. war, and what the oh, I can't even imagine how fascinating yeah. that would be. I know, isn't that interesting? What the sisters were doing yeah. in the Relief Society there during the war yeah. to help each other out, and then they found in Hong Kong uh, a history of the women that were over there that were working. Um, it said many of the members from the Philippines or Indonesia who worked as domestic helpers uh-huh. had like Sunday as their day off and they could never go to the temple because that was their one yeah. day off was Sunday. And it says they found in the records that those women uh, pleaded, you know, to church leaders and that accommodations were made. And it, she didn't say what year this was in. I remember reading an article that the Hong Kong temple right. was open they on Sunday. I think once a quarter yeah. on a Sunday. Yeah. So that these women workers could go take advantage do of the temple work yeah. at least four times a year. Ah, so it's so cool. She just is finding really cool things through kind of digging through 
some of the okay, that kind issues. of actually sounds like a really cool job. I know it does to like be a church historian <laughs> and you know get. I mean, I'm assuming she has probably some unrestricted access to a lot of stuff. Yeah, sounds like she's got lots of good, very cool records she gets to go through. So, I it was a really interesting article. That's cool. All right, how about let's let's hit on missionaries a little bit. Okay, some countries are finally opening up, and so they are finally starting to be able to send some missionaries back overseas. Um, I know in Shelby's mission, when she leaves on Wednesday, there's only five people going home mm-hmm. and arriving today because they had their new ones that went out, arrived today. I don't even know how many they had that arrived today. They So they're still just getting a ton. They're getting a ton in. In the U.S. mission. Exactly. And I had two moms that I spoke to, um, one of which... Um, is a, is a niece of somebody in my ward who's going to Lubbock before she goes to Paris. And then our cousin Elizabeth's son is going to Lubbock before he goes oh, to the that. Vanuanu Islands. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. And so, um, yeah, they're just getting a real influx in. And so this article focuses on a young woman from North Logan, Kendra DeLang, and she was assigned to uh, the Denmark-Copenhagen mission. So she goes into the MTC. She's in the MTC for about three weeks when COVID hits. And they were like, um, yeah, we're got to close the MTC mm-hmm. down. We're going to ship you off to Gilbert, Arizona. So she got shipped off to Gilbert, Arizona with all her bags packed for Denmark. So she's headed to 100-degree weather. Oh, my goodness. And everything she has is for very, very cold <laughs> weather. So she's making do down there. Um, mm-hmm. She's still learning the language down there, and she's just kind of hanging out down there. But they had a huge influx of these missionaries in Gilbert. And so she finally got the go-ahead that she could get over to Denmark. So she goes from this geographically very, very small mission mm-hmm. that's hot to Denmark, where there's a 50 degree temperature change and geographically it's huge because it also includes Iceland and Greenland. Right. So um, she's she's very happy to be there. And, and this is exciting. I did not realize that Europe would let anybody, that any of these European countries would let people from the United States come in. But oh. uh, it said in the article, some of these yeah. e- Eastern Europe countries are letting them come in. They Mm -hmm. let a lot of the missionaries stay if they didn't have health issues. They didn't close down those missions like they did others, but they didn't let new ones come in. Mm -hmm. And they're now starting to let new ones come in. So, and it does say they're, you know, following all the local guidelines, quarantining for however many days until they, until they go out, get there. So, So anyway, so I'm glad to hear that. I hope more areas open up and travel restrictions ease. Um, so these missionaries, just missionaries out there exactly can get where they, they want to go and, Mm -hmm. and, and move on with the work. Yes. All right. Next article. Oh, it's another Peggy Fletcher stack. I'm seeing a theme here this week, Ariane. Sorry for those who are not fans, but this one was also really interesting. Okay. This was from last week in the Salt Lake Tribune and she had interviewed a guy named Quentin Spencer who uh, has written, who has, he's like a statistician, data guy. He loves data. He loves the data. And he has gone through with whatever program he wrote to track the trends of different general conference sermons starting in the 1940s up until now. Okay, I have something to say about this guy. What? He needs a life. (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, it's this. I mean, I'm glad that he it's did so it because it, it provided interesting <laughs> analysis. But seriously, like. Slip my wrists. I would rather do that than do this. It's COVID season. Some are taking up crafting. Some are taking up analyzing data. I guess. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I, I give you that one. Anyway, it was really interesting. So I'm glad he did it. Uh, so it was just interesting. He like just cruised for like popular words, popular scriptures. Um, he said the most prolific speakers since 1942 who've talked the most uh-huh. are uh, President Hinckley and President Monson. They each gave more than 200 talks. Holy cow. McKay and Spencer W. Kimball were just under 150. Uh-huh. Uh, this was really interesting. From 1942 until the late 1980s, New Testament passages were quoted the most. And then after that, it has been like Book of Mormon has usually surpassed has dominated then yes very interesting also very interesting he said that the term scripture study was not used in conference until 1970 really yes and he also said that the also the phrase about like prayer like personal prayer and scripture study that was like newer like 1970 and on and so he just pointed out like i wonder what the church was even like before that like can you imagine (laughs) A conference without the term scripture study. And I know personal prayer. I know, but you know what? So. You can go back and you can listen to some of those old talks mm-hmm. um, that that they have available to listen to, and they're fascinating yeah. because they are they speak so differently than they mm-hmm. do now. Some of them are just kind of like flat out ruthless, like mm-hmm. you, hell and damnation. Wow, you know, which we don't, we really don't hear much anymore. Right. But they have a different speaking style. Uh-huh. They have a different tone to them. And they are so fascinating if, you know, again, if uh-huh. you're ever bored. And the only reason I know this, because this is what my husband likes to do late at night when he's going to bed. Really? Is he likes to sit on his phone <laughs> and surf old talks, especially from the 70s. He's uh-huh. quite fascinated with talks from the 60s and 70s. And he'll sit there and watch old conference talks from the 60s and 70s. That is so funny. Well, he could be doing worse things, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> so he also found the church president who has talked about works the most is President Nelson. Really? Isn't that interesting? And um, he talked about the use of grace-oriented language, uh, that the ones who t- tend to use that grace-oriented uh-huh. language are Elder Gong, Elder Holland, and Elder Uchtdorf. Who well, are very, precisely why they're my favorites. <laughs> who are very popular. And he said, you know, until recently, that kind of grace-oriented language was not something that no. was really used at all no. in conference. No. Until these more modern-day, the, never current day. Yeah. And he's talking about how popular they are, and that, you know, shows him kind of what members are really liking when they yeah. hear. So very, just really interesting. Uh, oh, he talked about pornography, how the, that word didn't come up a lot. So we just think they always talk about pornography, right. but they really don't. Well, it did. It came up sporadically in the 60s, okay. and then not a whole lot, and then it peaked in 2007. Ah, so. interesting. A little peak <laughs> of pornography. A little peak which followed the peak of the internet. <laughs> so, oh, very true. I know. So very just, true. Like super interesting. There's some other stuff. It's a fun article if you want to get into like the nitty gritty data of conference over the past, you know, 60 yeah. years. Well, the other thing too, is you think about, okay, President Hinckley gave over 200 talks and same thing with President Monson. Mm-hmm. 
Do you wonder, do they ever sit down when they were alive to give a talk and go, what can I talk on? What haven't I talked on? Oh, can I, I tweak an old one? I know. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. How do you not repeat yourself? Yeah. How do you not repeat <laughs> yourself? I guess that's where inspiration comes in. Probably. I save all my old talks on the computer in hopes that one day I can recycle them. And Are you them kidding again. me? No. <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. I don't think I have had that opportunity yet, but someday. <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's way funny. <laughs> Okay, our next one is the the church dumped a little update to their handbook. Actually, a lot of updates to yeah. their handbook. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll hit on some key ones. They, we know that they did a major revision. I think, what was that? Less than a year ago, where they went from handbook one and handbook two to just one handbook that everybody could access because it mm-hmm. used to be handbook one, only leaders could access. So a couple of, I'm just going to hit on some new and noteworthy things that I like. Okay. Um, they are really equalizing both the Elders Quorum and the Relief Society. And I am appreciative of that. I really liked this one. I did. Tell them what they're doing. So both the Elders Quorum and the Relief Society are responsible for day-to-day missionary work, temple and family history work in the world. Also, as you know, in Relief Society, for years we have had what has been known as the um, compassionate service leader. Uh-huh. And that's the individual that if you're having a baby, you're having surgery, she arranges all your meals. Right. And just general needs. General needs. It, this person is huge. Crucial to it, a Relief Society exactly. functioning. They are just as important as any Really, exactly. Presidency member. Exactly, because they're really serving mm-hmm. the temporal needs of the of the ward. Mm-hmm. Well, they are now going to be called a service coordinator. Not only is there going to be one in Relief Society, the Elders Corps has one now too. I loved this so much, and it was so funny when I caught this in there. I thought, how has it never dawned on me? Like, never once have has a have I had the thought. How come the elders quorum doesn't have a compassionate service leader? Yeah. Like that thought never crossed my mind. And then yeah. when I saw this, I was like, duh, how come yeah. they haven't this whole exactly. time? Exactly. They should have. Exactly. Because sometimes, you know, especially if you have like single mm-hmm. men in your ward and things like that, right. you know, the Relief Society Compassionate Service Art Coordinator isn't going to dingle them up on the phone and go, hello, brother, what can we help you with? I, you know, right. it may be a more comfortable situation that for them to talk to another priesthood holder. You know, right. I, I don't know. And I know this is stereotypical, but what do elders corps usually end up doing? Moves and setting up chairs. True. <laughs> True. So it'll be interesting to see if that boundary is still set or if maybe this elders quorum coordinator, service coordinator, and release society service coordinator work together to just like kind of meet the needs of everyone and divvy it out like where the need would best be met. Exactly. And I I would hope, Mm because at least I would envision that the way that they would do this is to have the relief society person as well as the elders quorum person work in conjunction with each other. I would think so too, because maybe there's a time where Someone needs a meal, but that person who needs a meal also really needs something. A priesthood blessing. Yeah, a blessing yeah. or some help around their house. And, yeah. and maybe that could be done 
by a brother or a sister. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly. the sisters. In fact, well, my husband's a really good cook and he always complains. He's like, how come I never get to take a meal to someone? <laughs> you know, and, and here's another interesting thing because, you know, we know that they did away with young men's presidencies. Uh -huh. And we still have people in our ward who do not quite comprehend the fact that my husband is not a young men's president. <laughs> and when they want the young men to do something, some sort of service, mm -hmm. they are calling up my husband, who they think is the young men's president, who he's not. And he's tried to explaining mm -hmm. this several times right. to say, can you coordinate the young men coming over here? That, that under this new structure, they should be calling up the elders quorum service coordinators saying, right. I need some service. And then the elders quorum service coordinator can decide, is this appropriate for the young men? Is it appropriate for a group of men from our ward? Is it appropriate for the sisters? And they can work in conjunction. Yeah, I like it. So. I think it's an excellent idea. And let's see, the other thing that I thought was interesting is they got rid of counselors for Sunday school. Um, yes. The, the, I mean, that's kind of a, like a nothing, if nothing you, burger calling. If you are a counselor for Sunday school, I think it should really be called, you are the permanent substitute for Sunday school. Or the bell ringer. <laughs> or the bell ringer. Exactly. <laughs> because that's so, what you will be doing is filling in when the Sunday school teachers don't show exactly. up. Exactly. Now you can, the bishop has the option to still call counselors, but he does not have to. And they also got rid of Sunday school class presidents. And then they have a whole bunch of kind of tweaks on their moral issue section. Mm -hmm. Nothing that we haven't, you know, seen or done or, or, or talked about that stood out. Although I did find this interesting. They say that the church opposes the use of marijuana for non-medical purposes. The policy also provides guidelines for when marijuana may be used for medical purposes. I know. I thought that was interesting, And I haven't too. looked at the policy to say, you know, what are those guidelines when it can be used for medical purposes? But quite fascinating. Yeah, that's definitely something new. Quite fascinating. So, very interesting. All righty. Okay, next article we have, this was actually a blog post uh, that Jeff had posted on to the Twim Facebook that I thought was so good. Uh, the blog is called Writing in Front, and it's written by a girl named Erin who lives in the D.C. area. And well, is I think she, they single. said she lives, she went, she lived in D.C. to go to school, oh, and she's in Boston she's now. she's in Boston now, okay. She graduated. She that. was in Georgetown. Anyway, her name is Erin. She's a single 30-something LDS uh, woman, and she writes a blog and a lot about church stuff, but also about her life as being single. So she had written a post this past week um, about Come Follow Me, the latest Come Follow Me lesson, and thoughts on the law of chastity. And she had brought it up because it had come up in one of the recent Come Follow Me lessons that we had done. And um, she talked about the doctrine of chastity and how important that is, Yes, but how sometimes through our teachings in the church. Our application. Our, the way we teach the doctrine, yes. which is pure. The doctrine is pure, but yes. the way we teach it yes. sometimes comes off a little... It has issues. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we may not teach it in the best way. Exactly. We can do better, is what she's so, saying. And she gives the example of, you know, we teach that it, sex is bad, 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 bad. We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. We don't... You can't have any sexual thought. <laughs> Satan puts sexual thoughts in your head. If you have sexual right. thoughts in your head, blame Satan. And then when you get married, it's like, oh, go have sex. <laughs> and sexual thoughts are okay now. So, sexual thoughts after marriage don't come from Satan. They only come from right. Satan before marriage. So that's one example she gives about just 
how we give, send these mixed yes. messages, you know, not necessarily on purpose, but because we just don't quite know how to teach it the right yes. way. And so this whole article is really super interesting with me. My husband and I have had so many conversations about this very topic just in regards to teaching our children Oh and, yeah, and how we want to teach our children. And, you know, we both grew up in homes where it was not discussed and ever. So we've talked about, you know, trying to make it more open and natural and calm to have those kinds of discussions. And she just had a really interesting list of questions in this blog um, to ask ourselves. And I won't read through them all, but they were really thought provoking questions. And I think especially thought provoking if you're a parent and oh, yeah. thinking about how to teach this doctrine in your home. Um, so just some of the questions she says is, should the standards for the law of chastity change as we age? Should we be applying the same standards at age 36 as we do at age 12? What does appropriate sexual development look like as we age and remain single? How do we use goals instead of fear to help people choose to keep the law of chastity? Are we micromanaging the details of chastity and ignoring the larger picture? How do we appropriately teach children about their own sexual development in a way that prepares them for a healthy sexual relationship? Things, things like that. There's more. There's a whole list of yeah. questions that she proposed that, you know, maybe we can ask ourselves as we and, dive into this subject and super, in our families. Super thought-provoking questions. Yeah, really thoughtful. That, you know, I, I really liked one of her first questions where she says, you know, should our standards for the law of chastity change as we age? Should we be applying the same standards at 36 as we do at 12? Well, obviously, I mean, we've been taught that sexual relations outside of marriage, whether you're 12 right. or 36, is, is inappropriate. But, you know, Managing those sexual feelings, I think, at 36 looks a lot different than managing those sexual feelings right. at 12. Right. At 36, you have the maturity to handle more than you can handle at 12. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, you know, things that may not be appropriate at 12 may be more appropriate at 36. I don't, you know, uh -huh. I, I, I don't know. And, um, and like you said, just in, you know, convert, and I think these are really good questions to have, just like you said, among spouses, uh -huh. when you are sitting there discussing how are we going to approach this with our children? Right. You know, how do we take out the shame that, cause so often there's been so much shame associated. Right with sexuality how do we take out the shame and let them know uh -huh. you don't need to be ashamed and right. you know i think even if you try and do that i mean you have you have a teenager right. i've had teenagers coming from a parent it's hard it's hard well and the other thing too is even if you're open uh -huh. when you open that discussion with your child they're like Ew. I know. Even if you try your hardest to yeah. make, make it They're going to be like completely grossed out. Yeah. Okay. I have to say when I was, I can't remember what grade, maybe a sophomore in high school, I had a seminary teacher and we had a lesson on chastity in seminary. Uh -huh. And he is the only teacher I ever had in all of my youth experience okay. that said, this is amazing. And oh, dang. when you get married, this is going to be the most awesome, special experience that you will have with your spouse. So what are you thinking and in seminary so when good. this is coming out of his mouth, contrary to probably every <laughs> other thing you ever heard at I church? I remember just sitting there going, huh, that's really interesting. At the time, yeah. I just remember thinking, huh, but it stuck with me. Okay. It stuck with me. I mean, I 
that's probably, if you ask me. It was me, very imprinted on it you. It did. I mean, there are not many lessons that I remember. Yeah. Specific lessons from my youth, but I specifically remember that seminary lesson. And it had a big impact on me. And I think it really helped me. Yeah. Like going into my 20s and navigating that. And when I got married, like it just, I just think I, from the second I had that lesson, it kind of changed my mindset on it. Got it. And I went through the whole rest of my youth with that in mind. Yeah. That and not this is a really good thing. And not yeah. the and not the negative. Every sexual thought is from Satan. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to me, just one tiny little lesson from a teacher can reframe something. Wow. So that's 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 a great message. Mm-hmm. One tiny little lesson can reframe. Mm-hmm. And you never know, because I'm sure that teacher has oh no clue. He probably has no idea. He probably doesn't even remember teaching that lesson. Exactly. So exactly. All right. Our next story is we have some Latter-day Saint volunteers in Salt Lake City who were working to zeroscape the city's Jewish synagogue. So these are a group of youth from the Highland, Utah, South Stake. Uh, they decided, hey, we want to go in and help this Jewish synagogue out, mm-hmm. take out a lot of their landscaping that required a lot of maintenance, required a lot of water, things like that. And they wanted to zeroscape it with, you know, some rock and some plants that require less water, less maintenance, so it wasn't as taxing on their resources. So they spent several months planning, budgeting, and calling businesses uh, to get what they needed at, at either donated or at a deep discount. And then they had about 50 members of the stake, and this is during COVID because they're all wearing masks, but they're outside, that met up with about a dozen synagogue members um, every day at 7 a.m., I think for several days in a row, uh, to rip out the lawn and the bushes and replace it with rock and succulent plants and trees. They hooked up a drip system. And it said the rabbi, Rabbi Sam Spector was overcome with gratitude and said we probably saved several hundreds, several hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I thought, you know, what a great activity for these youth in COVID. They're outside, Mm -hmm. they're helping um, in the community, another religious organization and just setting a good example of being a good neighbor. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Next story we have, this was from LDS Living. Uh, There's a guy named Levi Hilton that was learning coding in school when he was 13 years old. This was six years ago when he was 13 years old. Uh, He learned some coding in school and thought, I'm going to make a video game. And he made a video game about the Book of Mormon heroes. And Uh, it sounds like from the article, it's just not, I mean, it's a decent game. Yeah. And then he has done another one since then called The Servant of Tiancum. So Uh he took like the actual characters and he tried to make it, you know, historically accurate according to the book of mormon and made some video games so and this was refreshing to hear they are actually free yes i saw that so we will put a link or jeff will link the article which has the link where you can download his games for free they are playable on windows computers only um but there are instructions on how to download them for free so i thought that was cool you know that might be a good Sunday activity for your kids. Yeah, maybe. You know, if imagine this, kids, it's Sunday, you get to play video games. Yeah. They'd be going, have you lost your mind? I think they might like that, so I might have to check it out. I know. Um, okay, next article. This is, 
where did we find this article? This was about BYU. Oh, yeah. It was it was all over the news, but this one is from the ABC station okay. in Salt Lake in City. Salt Lake. But I saw it on several other okay. news sites. So this one is about BYU students starting a petition to bring the university back to a Christ-centered education. So... Because apparently <laughs> BYU is not providing a Christ-centered education. There was a student who started this. Her name was Hannah Syriac, and maybe a couple of her friends have started this petition. She said that she started it because she has heard a lot of professors suggest things that are contrary or in opposition to the church. She did not give specific examples of that, but um, she did give the example of that she wanted to start a pro-life club on campus. Yeah. And no professor would sponsor it. Like, too political is what they said. And they shut her down. And so she felt that that was, she thought, well, the church is clearly clearly pro-life. So why would this not be? So that made her upset. And then um, she also said there is also a lack of talking about God in every single class. And talking about God in class is the purpose of the university. So she posted it to social media, asking people to sign the petition uh, to make BYU more Christ-centered. And she said she's gotten like a fairly good response of people supporting her, except for on Twitter. She says... Ooh, the evil, evil Twitter. The people on Twitter uh, have responded not very nicely. <laughs> so... Well, I want to share my thoughts on this. There you have it. I know you have thoughts on this. Oh, I do have thoughts on this. I very much have thoughts on this. You know, one of the purposes of going to a university, whether it is BYU or whether it is another university, is to be exposed to a diversity of ideas. And it is important in your education to be exposed to a diversity of ideas. It is important in your religious education to be exposed to a diversity of ideas. The reason it is important to be exposed to a diversity of ideas is so that you can figure out what you believe and what you don't believe and how to filter and sift through information informing your own opinions. That is why universities, including BYU, and probably BYU much less so than any other university, Strive to present diversity of ideas because it makes you more well-rounded. Can you imagine going out into the workplace and going, well, every conversation has to be about God because I'm a God-fearing person. (laughs) I come from a university where all we talk about is God and God is the center of everything. And I'm not mocking that and I'm not saying God shouldn't be the center of everything. I'm just saying, honey, you got to live in the real world. Right. And in the real world, you're going to be exposed to a lot of people who don't believe how you believe. So it's kind of good to get some exposure and understand how to deal with that on a university level. And quite frankly, if you think BYU provost too liberal, I'm going to suggest BYU Idaho. (laughs) It was interesting. And I'm totally snarky on this and I freely admit it. (laughs) She has strong feelings. I have strong, Um, strong feelings on this. It was interesting that she didn't think God was being brought up enough in class. I wonder if, do they still pray at BYU before classes? Because honestly, when I was there, we didn't pray in every class. Some classes they did, some classes they didn't. just depended on the professor. Obviously the religion classes. Yeah, all the religion classes, of course. Anyway, 
I just, I'm, I'm, it's interesting. <laughs> All right. I'm sure Jeff's going to get hate mail for my soapbox, but I don't really care. All right. That's why we give him Jeff's email address and not yours. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. What's next? Okay, next is uh, Wilford Brimley. He is an older gentleman, uh, 85 years old. He was a member of the church and he passed away. Now, when we were preparing for the to record tonight, I was like, oh, Wilford Brimley. And you're like, I don't even know who that is. Sorry. <laughs> don't know who it is. Well, first of all, he was the spokesman for Quaker Oats for years. <laughs> Hello, do not eat your Quaker Oats. <laughs> um, he also starred in several movies that, you know, came out in the 70s and 80s, which, okay, some of which you weren't born, some of which you were very small. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, and then he also um, did commercials for the American Diabetes Association. Anyway, um, just just a very well thought of actor who was LDS and you know we don't have too many notable active LDS actors uh-huh. and so he passed away of uh of complications apparently he was um seeking um he was uh, on medical treatment for dialysis and oh, so okay. i'm guessing probably related to his kidneys and and mm-hmm. his diabetes and and uh lived a good life all right so, Okay, well, I have to slide this one in here because I forgot to talk about it next month. This is not. Or you mean last month? Or last month. Well, my husband discovered it. You okay. know how sometimes the church updates their apps and they just like slip it in? They slip stuff the into their apps. They slipped it in. So they updated their music app. And I think it used to be called, was it called LDS Music? Or LDS Hymns. LDS I know it's called, hymns. what, like Sacred Music anyway, now? now it is called Sacred Music. Okay. So they changed the name of it as they're kind of rebranding everything. It's called Sacred Music um, instead, and it's where you can listen to hymns, listen to children's songbooks. But when they updated it, my husband and I got on, and he was looking around, and they have this section on there called Hymns at Home. Okay. And this is a brand new. They didn't have this before. Okay. And it is like remastered hymns. So they, they take a, a hymn from yes. the hymn book, only they've kind of doo-opped it, jazzed they it up. They have doctored it up. Okay. Yes. So, and they're by various artists and it's not all the hymns. I don't know. There's maybe 20. Okay. And the kind of style is all over. Some of them are kind of folksy. Some of them are kind of indie. So kind of thinking lower lights, a little yes. bit lower lights, but not as cool as lower lights. That's what we were thinking. It's like a knockoff lower lights. Okay. Some of them. Okay. But then some of them have kind of like a um, gospel choir feel. Some of them have like a Christian rock feel. Really? It's very interesting. Some of them I like. Others are, they're the one that was just like killing us is I Feel My Savior's Love. I don't even know if I can play this or if there's like copy. I'm going to play like two seconds of it. probably can't play much more because of copyright but it's very like boppity bop it's know. very doo-wop-y yeah, a little bit well, and it's really like kind of christian rock feeling anyway very interesting okay that is so interesting there is a wide variety i'm sure that they're trying to like make a wide variety for all kinds of tastes and opinions on music but okay here's what i want to know <laughs> Now, I'm a big fan of the lower lights, and I freely admit I'm a big fan of the lower lights. I love the lower lights. I love the hymns that they have redone mm-hmm. and 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 made them kind of folksy and stuff, and, and they really are some of my favorite to listen to mm-hmm. while I'm driving around. 
Why didn't they just call Lower Lights up and say, hey, can we use your catalog and can you make some more for us? And here's what we're looking for. Because some of these ones that are trying to imitate Lower Lights that I've listened to, I'm like, oh, that's cringy. Uh, some of them. So, some are better than others. Okay. That's for sure. And I, I haven't given it as much time if, as you have. If they could get Lower Lights to make more music, I'd be so happy. I know. I wish Lower Lights. Shout out. Lower Lights, if you listen to us, get, make some more music for us. Go sell it to the church. Go say, hey, we want to we wanna help your music app there. Yes. All right. All right. What's next? I think we are to our segment of Mormons behaving badly. Oh, right. Now, which has been fairly quiet It's recently been fairly quiet. Due to COVID, other than the murdering mother. Well, and we'll, 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 we'll do a little Lori Vallow update after I talk about this story. Now, I don't know if the culprit in this story is Mormon, but it's, it's Mormon adjacent. So we're going to call it that. It's in Utah County, so the odds are high. The odds are high. So last Monday night on the 3rd of August, there was a little drive-by shooting at the Provo MTC. They have a guard booth out there. Someone was actually in the guard booth, shot four shots at the guard booth, shots went through the guard booth. Fortunately, no one was injured. Nobody is basically in the MTC right now, but they are looking for a, I believe a Han, or no, a Subaru a Subaru Outback. A Subaru Outback. That does not that fit. That is light in color. That does not feel fit the profile of your average drive-by shooter. No. I feel like most Subaru Outback owners are very peaceful people. Are very granola. <laughs> yes. So, yes. What is happening? I, exactly. What and is someone happening? someone was in there. That's so scary. It's so scary. I mean... It could have been so bad. Could have been so, so bad. So... Um, we, we... Again, we don't know if who actually ever... Actually did this was Mormon, but... Totally awful thing. All right. So then that brings us to monthly. I give a Lori Vallow update because I follow that case. This is the Mormon mother, at least. We don't know if she's been excommunicated Former, yet. Formerly Mormon she, she may be formerly Mormon at this point in time. She's charged here in Idaho with, um, she's not charged with the murder of her children yet, but they found the bodies of her children on her uh, new husband's property. So he went to preliminary hearing last week. He was bound over on his felonies. I'm going to spare everyone the gruesome details that came out in the preliminary hearing. She was supposed to have a preliminary hearing this week. She waived her preliminary hearing, which I was kind of bummed about because I wanted more testimony on it. And she is now um, going to uh, proceed up to felony court for her felony arraignment on her charges. So that case is is moving forward, and we will keep you updated on it because I happen to know a lot of the legal players in this case and have personal relationships and knowledge with a lot of the legal players in this case. So I'm a little obsessed. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Should we do favorite things? Let's let's do some favorite things. You want to start or you want me to start? Sure, I'll start. So my favorite thing this month is, well, I have two. Mini shout out to Jeff's podcast last week. Oh, his podcast last week was so good. He interviewed, uh, what was her name? It was Nyland Mc, McBain. And she had written this book on uh, the women in Utah and the women's right to vote. The suffrage movement and there. how it happened out in the yes. West, particularly Utah, but she also hit on Idaho. It was such a good interview. It was so interesting. I really want to read her book. So that's my mini favorite thing. 
Second favorite thing this month is, have you ever um, used Amazon Warehouse to no. purchase your purchases? I don't even know what Amazon Warehouse is. Okay. I can't believe I've never told you about this because uh, I- Are you holding out on me? I discovered this over a year ago, but I haven't used it a whole lot. It's hit and miss. Okay. So when you go to Amazon to make your purchases, you can go to the drop down menu- Okay. Where it has categories, and there is a drop down that says Amazon Warehouse. Okay. You click on the Amazon Warehouse and you search for what you're going to buy in the Amazon Warehouse. And the Amazon Warehouse is where they will sell things that get returned. Oh, that, seriously? That they have to repackage or um, somebody used them and then didn't want them. So, and it will tell you the status of the item. If it's used in good condition, if it's used really? repackaged, or if it's used Are you kidding me? Like How did you. I not know about this? So you can go, and the reason it's on my mind is because I just had to recently buy new hiking shoes. Okay. And so I always try to remember if I can think of it when I'm buying like a bigger ticket item. Yeah. Check the Amazon warehouse first. Okay. So I got these Adidas hiking shoes that were like $70 on the regular Amazon uh-huh. But in the warehouse menu, they happen to have my size, one pair in my size that was used in good condition for $35. Half price. So half the price. And you never quite know what you're going to yeah. get. But when they came in the mail, they had the tags on. So they, can you return them if you get it and you don't like it? How's uh, their return policy? I think you can still return them, but that's a very good question. Yeah. I think you can still return huh. them. You know, I have always so, wondered what becomes... Uh, yes. Those Amazon returns. Yes. And like a year ago, I got a wagon on there and I, I got it for cheaper uh-huh. than new. And all it was, it had been opened. Yeah. But it hadn't been used. And they just taped up the packaging. And Interesting. So okay. Amazon Warehouse, if you are looking for something, maybe it happens to be on there. Well, very good to know. I'm going to have to go home tonight and, mm-hmm. and surf the warehouse and see what's on there. All right. My favorite thing, and y'all are going to laugh at this because I realize I'm a little late to the game on this. Okay. I have always heard that the series Friday Night Lights is so good. (gasps) Yes. And I've never watched it. It's always kind of been on my, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, I'll get to that. Well, I finally decided to get to that. Are you sucked in? Oh my gosh. I started watching it probably maybe two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. The writing on it is so amazing. They capture teenage angst to the <laughs> nth degree. I love the relationship between the coach and his wife. Yes. I think it's so realistic of a marriage and I just love it. So that is a really good show. I would also highly recommend it. So. Okay. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Twim Nation, thank you so much for joining us um, on our show tonight. We appreciate you listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can send those to contact at thisweekinmormons.com and you in all likelihood will get a response. And of course, you can find This Week in Mormons on the Twitter, on Instagram. Our Facebook page is super active. So we encourage you to go like us on the Facebook page and uh, be the first to get notified when the Mormon breaking news occurs. That's right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.